Welcome back to Streamageddon, the TV and streaming podcast that is here to save you from mediocre streaming choices in the new year. I'm your host, Chris Barlow, and I am joined by the uh, crime fighter herself, Diane Nora. You might not have heard of her yet, but you will soon, because this is an episode about, uh, let's say, under uh, unknown heroes? Unknown heroes. The unknown hero, Diane Nora. How's that for a, a build-up to your 2024 introduction, Diane? Oh, I love it. I, we can make it part of our Stream Again Spotlight series. Thank you so much for finding a convenient way to brand it. That was what I was looking for. Ah, well, here on Stream Again Spotlight, we shine the spotlight on really whatever show we want. I'm not sure what makes a Spotlight series different than a regular series, and that might be one of the things we're going to discuss later this episode, because yes, we can't start a new year without somehow talking about a franchise, and in this case, a spin-off franchise of the franchise machine itself, Marvel. Uh, Diane, are you yet sick of Marvel in 2024? Are we already there? I'm not. I think that I uh, really ended last year on a sick of Marvel note, and the turn of the calendar has me uh, appreciating Marvel with fresh eyes. You know, in and a way, you? me too. Me too. I I was almost afraid to say that. It feels cringy to be optimistic about Marvel again, but we've watched the first three episodes of Marvel's Spotlight series, Echo, And don't worry if most of those words didn't make any sense to you. We will explain in a spoiler light review. So if you're just trying to figure out what is an Echo, a Marvel Spotlight what now? We have you covered later in this episode. Uh, But before we get there, we have so much to talk about. It's a new year, so we're going to make some uh, very confident recommendations on how to spend and budget your streaming money. But before that, we have to talk about some news. And of course, that means follow-up from our 2023 streaming superlative spectacular. Uh, It feels like it has been a month since we have done this, Diane, because it has basically been a month since we have done this, Diane. Goodness gracious, uh, it's about time. It is. And so we pre-recorded our year-end special uh, in early December. And in between the time we made our our big prediction, we were like, we're going to go wild and make a big prediction for 2024. And we thought, oh, we're so smart. We're going to get ahead of the big story, which will be Paramount falling apart and needing to be bought. And then in between the time we recorded the episode and the time the episode came out... We already proved our prediction true. Thank you so much. We are prophetic. We just didn't tell anyone in time. It was a a worthy try. You know, next time, we're we're the Cassandras of the streaming universe, unfortunately. Uh, But what did we miss? Or really, we we predicted, then we missed the opportunity to talk about it with you, uh, is the news that David Zaslav, Mr. Warner Brothers Discovery himself, is meeting with the heads of Paramount, Bob Backish, about perhaps buying Paramount, the worst idea in the history of uh, corporate streaming mergers, a history that includes AT&T buying uh, Warner. Yeah, I think that this would be bad for talent, bad for consumers, and potentially bad for Warner Brothers Discovery. I'm not totally sure what the upside is here for them. Yeah, well, I, I... 
a bigger catalog and the hope that if you're one of the only giant ones remaining, you'll be eventually profitable somehow. It 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 seems like the the uh, pitch to the Wall Street side because the the hard hurdle for Warner is they they have so much debt they're not profitable. Like it's kind of a mess that they're still cleaning up from the merger that made the company. Uh, so you know that that part makes it seem unrealistic. However, they would be making their catalog enormous, just maybe the biggest catalog at that point with Discovery, Warner, and Paramount. And then they'd be able to say, hey, you know, a lot of the people employed at uh, Paramount are redundant because we already have people that do that. And so there would just be sort of a, a, a downsizing bloodbath, I think, and they would pitch it as an efficiency play. This this is going to be a more lean, efficient streaming behemoth. Uh, and that that's another reason I think this is terrible, because I do think this is the worst outcome for the people who work for Paramount. Any outcome I think would be better than this one if you are employed at CBS, for example. What, what do you do with CBS News if, if you have CNN already? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I... They are different in terms of... Are they that of- different? Anderson Cooper's on 60 Minutes now. Maybe this is the synergistic wet dream that David Zaslav has, you know, just foisted upon us. I I just think, like, man, I would be scared shitless if I worked at Paramount and got bought by Warner Brothers. Agreed. We should say, though, that this is, you know, far from being a done deal. Uh, it would have to get past... Um, the SEC. SEC right? There would be yeah, a lot or, of the FCC uh, is a, yeah. a big factor for Paramount because yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they own a network. They, there are a few weird legal hurdles for Paramount specifically. The biggest one being they own CBS. Ironically, they didn't own CBS until they remerged Viacom and CBS a few years ago, making Paramount, which is now a doomed company. But uh, because they own CBS again, CBS cannot be bought by anyone who owns another network because that's an FCC rule in America from forever ago when there was three networks, ABC, NBC, CBS. And so Comcast is not even in the running for this because they're not allowed to buy CBS. And similarly, Disney, which has no interest in this anyway, has absolutely unable to be involved because they own ABC. And in fact, don't even seem to really like owning ABC anymore. So it, it limits the number of people who even could make a play unless Paramount begins to sell itself apart for parts. And if they get rid of CBS, suddenly Disney could buy the Paramount IP and greenlight the world's most horrifying Star Wars, Star Trek crossover franchise experience. Oh, please no. I, I'm, I'm just saying it, it, they could if first Paramount gets rid of CBS somehow. Right. And that all depends, too, on will this current administration still be in power whenever this would potentially happen? Um, it's all still a possibility right now, not not a foregone conclusion. Yeah, and there's a lot of ego involved on the CBS, on the Paramount side. Sherry Redstone is the, uh, she's not the CEO of Paramount, that's Bob Beckish, but she is the owner, essentially, due to a voting structure with their shares that make her shares the most powerful shares by a, a lot. Uh, she has a Mark Zuckerberg-like control in that way. And so uh, she 
put a lot of effort and energy into reuniting CBS and Viacom, which is mostly the cable properties, into Paramount. And now the cable properties from Viacom are rapidly losing any value. And CBS, while the most successful of the networks, is also dwindling in in its success. And Paramount uh, Plus is just not, uh, it doesn't have a, 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 a future doesn't have a financial outlook that makes any sense for anyone. And so I think if the investors had their way, they would just sell Paramount for parts. And the investors would probably make the most money if they spun off different, more profitable or less profitable components. Get rid of the cable companies and let, you know, some venture capitalists milk them for whatever ad revenue they can still make. But, you know, they're they're dead weight. It's a company full of different dead weights. Who wants to buy all that dead weight? And the problem is Sherry doesn't want to split it up. Right. I mean, or maybe that's the saving grace is Sherry doesn't want to split it up. Uh, Well, that's what she would say. I have a feeling. All of that is to say there was all this talk about this meeting between Bob and Zaz. And honestly, it might mean nothing at all. Right. Too soon to say, but we're keeping an eye on it. Uh, I really, really hope that it doesn't go through. I also really, really hope that this specific merger does not go through, though I stand by our prediction that this is the last year Paramount Plus graces our streaming universe. I agree with that. Unfortunately, that's not the only bad news and follow-up I have from Warner Brothers Discovery. Because as we sort of predicted in our streaming superlative spectacular, there will be no more Our Flag Means Death on the Max app because uh, it has been announced that it is canceled after two seasons. I saw this coming. Such a shame. I really enjoy this show. I have to say I'm part of the problem here. I haven't watched season two yet. And Chris, I have to ask, as far as if that's the end of the show, how did you feel about that ending? Oh, I knew this was the end of the show when I watched the season two finale. The season two finale Mm -hmm. is a satisfying end to the show. I will say nothing more than that about it, but I definitely, I am not exaggerating or retconning when I say I finished that and I went, oh shit, they don't think they're going to get another season. It's too bad. It really is too bad. It's such a good show, and it has grown such a fierce and loyal fan base in an era where it's hard to grow a new fan base. Mm. Well, hopefully the creators will have something new to come. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I mean, David Jenkins and uh, Taika Waititi, these are people who are very talented and in some cases extraordinarily successful already. So I think they'll land on their feet. I I do really feel for David Jenkins, who just created such a warm and loving, uh, like, again, fandom around this show. Uh, And it is just, I mean, and as a queer person, I'm like, it it is a miraculous show that it, it... found a way to be so funny and uh, exciting in a way that, you know, some people felt about Shit's Creek at the time, but this is more uh, queer from the jump and a little zanier. And that was, I think, greatly appreciated by a lot of viewers. And it is so sad to see that go. Absolutely. I think that while it did find its audience, you're absolutely right. It didn't break out the way that Shit's Creek did during 2020. Correct. Um, to really becoming a broad audience. And honestly, one factor there, certainly not the only factor, but one factor there is Schitt's Creek went on Netflix 
and that is when right. Schitt's Creek blew up. It did not blow up when it was airing episodes on pop TV. Uh, and so, you know, listen, it, Max is a big app. We we talk about Max all the time. But Max is no Netflix. It, it is less likely to make your show a hit. In fact, what is Warner Brothers Discovery doing with some of the content sitting in their library on Max? They're licensing it to Netflix in the hopes that it becomes a hit. Right. And so maybe someday it will find its way to Netflix or it will find more of a broad audience on, on Max because for now it's still remaining on the app. Yes, and I did notice uh, Deadline, at least, made a point of asking and uh, Warner and putting that in the article, that it's not leaving the service. And I just, I, I, I felt the tension of the last, like, 18 months of Warner Brothers Discovery just purging things, and that's spreading as a new industry standard, basically. You know, two years ago, we would have been confused as to why that needed to be said. We would have been like, well, yeah, it's canceled, but of course it's still going to be there. Why why did you even ask? And now it was the first question I had. Mm. Another reason it seems a little crazy that what David Zaslav wants to do is expand the catalog even further. Expand it with what? The contents <laughs> of the Paramount. shows you already paid for. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we can hope. We can hope. But, you know, that is, unfortunately, the only bad news we have time for. In another light, you could say, fortunately, that is the only bad news we have time for. Unfortunately, I forgot that the next story is about layoffs at Amazon. But that somehow is not bad news to me personally, the way that the cancellation of our flag means death is bad news to me personally. I am so sorry to the people at Amazon. Uh, That is just my truth. I find it very concerning news. (laughs) It is concerning news. So our other story, though I'll be honest, as I read more about this before we recorded, um, or just read associated headlines before we recorded, I got a little less concerned. But it is bad news. There's large layoffs at Amazon Prime and MGM. But but that news was day one of a series of days of newses about layoffs at uh, Amazon's many divisions. So since then, they've announced layoffs at Twitch and layoffs at Audible, and it does just sort of read like a belt tightening across the board at Amazon, though they led with the Prime Video MGM layoff news, which did feel very ominous. It does. I mean, I still find this story overall to be ominous in the sense that there was a feeling that so many streamers were cutting back in terms of creation. And Amazon was still the place where it was like, we're not counting on this to make us money. We're making money on, you know, on on. What are sales, they making money on? on We've talked sales. about Citadel. I, I I do completely understand where you're coming from. And also, I do have this feeling of, well, I don't know. Try making something good. Maybe maybe they did need to, to tighten it because they've been blowing all this money on stuff that's not working. That's true. I mean, I do think that there are some good titles on Amazon. Some of them are just a little bit more buried on the service, whereas like a lot of their premiere shows weren't as successful. I still liked The Rings of Power. I mean, it's not a perfect show, but I like it. I mean, it's better than most of the stuff on Netflix. True, true. And I will say, actually, I have a coworker who has become a huge fan of Upload. Upload, an Amazon series that was canceled after three seasons. I've never heard anyone talk about it until like Mm-mm. two months ago. This coworker outed themselves as a huge fan of Upload, and they keep telling people that, like, oh, you'd love it. And in fact, I've seen a few episodes. She's right. It, it's good. I didn't get um, uh, hooked on it. 
and it, now it's over. But part of me does go like, you know, Amazon has uh, the benefit of low churn. Very few people cancel their Prime subscription. And so if you might never open the Prime Video app for a year, but then somebody mentions, hey, have you checked out Upload? And you go and you watch three seasons of Upload. And you're like, oh, shoot, that's canceled? That's too bad. When did it even originally air? I have no idea, right? Right. That's the problem with Amazon, I think, is that people aren't using it to view things. But I think but the benefit is, it's, it's not just the worst there. service. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The benefit it's- is it's just there. You're already paying for it, most likely. Yeah, I, I do think, though, they are, as part of a, a big trend in tech companies especially, tightening their belts mm-hmm. and just looking at maybe the idea. I'm not saying this is true, but I'm saying the idea that they overhired uh, during the kind of pandemic streaming boom. And we do have to remember, there was that moment, that really delirious moment in 2020, when these companies all thought, and, and many, many viewers thought, oh, uh, streaming is going to be the replacement for movie theaters and concerts, and we're never going to go outside again. Right. And so they all... And I'm glad that's not the case. I, I know, me too. You know, broad picture, big picture, I'm so glad we can go outside again. Uh, but the result is, I think, a lot of these companies projected growth in their, their streaming, especially, that didn't happen. Uh, and on mm-hmm. the Amazon side, I think they've just been really loose with the Prime Video budget. And now they're going to be less loose with it. Oh, I completely agree. I just think it's a shame because they were one of the holdouts. Yeah, they were one of the that ones still that was still throwing like, money around. Let's set, yeah, the dumpster full of money on fire and see what happens. That was the old Netflix just giant fire hose of money model up mm-hmm. until that uh, moment in like, and it feels like a thousand years ago. 2021, when the Netflix correction began. And now Netflix is once again king of the hill. Nobody is challenging their dominance really, while the other companies are flailing because investors turned, you know, very sour very fast on the, you know, dumpster fire of money idea. Agreed. And I think what this story is, as much as it is about Amazon and MGM, I think it's really like the very end of that era. Yes, it is. And and you know, pour one out. For the last big holdout of we don't care, renew it. How much? The Russo brothers want to make another Citadel? And they fought with the creators of the first season and made another cut. And they're terrible and they don't get along with each other and no one's watching it. But we have a press release that says it's big in India. How much did it cost? I don't care. Renew it. That That well, is... They are renewing that still, but that was the old model. That was the old decision making. We have to watch now and see these extremely expensive shows like Rings of Power and Citadel. Do they get third seasons? Because there there just is no financial math right now where I think either of them, you know, come out as profitable in a third season. But they are anchor shows that, you know, Rings of Power in particular is a big franchise halo effect on on Prime Video in theory. Rings of Power has more possibility because of its connection to the existing franchise, whereas Citadel, I think, was purely a play for saving face. They don't want to tell you how much money they lost. Yeah, and if they do another season and spread it out, it's it's less embarrassing. That is probably the truth. Uh, I, either way, 
at the end of an era, as you say. And what better way to punctuate the end of an era than by saying, oh, also, starting at the end of January, we're shoving ads into your previously ad-free Prime video feed. But if you would like to not see the ads, it is $3 a month. Uh, once again, the dumpster fire of money has been extinguished. We would now like some of that money back in our pockets. If you're going to put Citadel on while you do the laundry and you don't want to miss any exciting plot point uh, while you run to the restroom, you know, I, I, I think it's totally fine. I don't know. I don't think that ads are going to be a big disruption to my Amazon Prime viewing, but um, perhaps that's just me. I just want to point out. Uh, if you would like to do laundry while watching Citadel and don't want to miss uh, the best parts, you have a lot of time that you could go do your laundry. Uh, and in fact, I, I would argue the ads probably are the part you'd want to come back and watch. Oh, brother. Especially if there's an ad for anything else involving Stanley Tucci, because then you'd get the best part of Citadel, Stanley Tucci, but not with any of the Citadel baggage. If there is a Stanley Tucci, like, wandering Italy ad, that's the best moment of your Citadel ad viewing experience. But but I do want to actually talk about the ads on Amazon, because I agree with you, Diane. I think, who cares? This is the company that'll sell you a Kindle with special offers. What are the special offers? They're ads on the, on the screen of your book. And you can pay yeah, them to mind. remove those ads. And you can mind or not mind. It's a financial transaction. Whatever, man. That's, that is the ad-supported capitalism that created the wonderful world of TV and streaming. So, and, and Amazon has been doing that with Kindle and other products for years. So who cares? It's the least surprising news. And also, you're not watching that much Amazon Prime Video person who's complaining about this. What gets me is people, you know, again, on threads, on social media, outraged. I'm going to cancel my Prime. I want to be like, name three Amazon Prime original series. I'll wait. I, I could name three. I like Amazon Prime series, but okay. Yes, you're right. There are some good ones. No one's watching them. So maybe if you're paying more attention because you're so outraged, it'll remind you that you really liked the first few seasons of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It was very charming. Yes, I really liked some of The Man in the High Castle <laughs> and not the rest. <laughs> like so many shows on Amazon Prime Video where it'd be like, yeah, I really liked the cinematography of Rings of Power. I liked the boys. I like the boys. The boys. Present tense. Yeah, there we go. There we go. They still got one. They, that, they still got one. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a spinoff. <laughs> they're working on it. That's going to be their franchise. And then they can stop paying for the Rings of Power because they'll have a <laughs> franchise. Everybody needs one, Chris. They do. They do. It's true. And, and listen, if you are so upset about the $3 a month upcharge to remove the ads from the shows you're not watching on Prime Video. I want you to write to us and tell us, podcast at streamageddon.com, what are you watching on Prime Video? Why is the the intrusion of the ads such a big deal to you? And, and if you're going to write to us, I want to know, do you get ads on any of your other streaming services? Are you one of those people who will pay whatever to remove them? Because I, I, we're entering an era where that's the next big dividing line. The people who will pay anything to remove the ads and the people who thought 
for a while that streaming meant they would get to avoid ads and are coming to accept the reality that it's television and the way that the math works for television is at least a lot of it has ads. I will say for HBO content specifically, I want my content ad free. I am that person with HBO because I'm so used to it. I always watched HBO shows without ads. I remember when they started licensing some of those shows to like TBS and suddenly you were watching, you know, Carrie Bradshaw with an ad break. No, it just doesn't hit the same way. I don't want to edit it and I don't want ads. I don't want ads on Max. Any other app, I don't care. I think that's a principled stance. I'm there for it. The premium content, the cinematic yeah. content. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to ascribe uh, the words premium and cinematic to a lot of the content on Amazon Prime Video <laughs> or or on Max or on <laughs> Netflix, Max. on any of these services. There is there is the thing that like the HBO model was always different. It always cost more. It always had fewer shows. It was more premium and there was less of it. And that was ad free. And it that level of ad free still makes sense to me. But for the vast majority of streaming content, I don't care if it is cheaper to show me ads. If showing me ads means you can make more new shows and have more options and variety for me as a consumer, that is a fair trade to me. I agree. I will say I think at one point, Netflix's model was trying to be a real peer of HBO, but they've abandoned that years ago with their content strategies. So to me, yeah, Netflix, sure, give me ads. Yeah, that's fine. Fine by me. Uh, but that is uh, the last news we have time for, but not the last discussion of how to make the most of your streaming spending, because we do a little segment here from time to time where we We get a little uh, cozy with our streaming services. We get a little honest with our streaming services. Oh, we curl up by the fire, we look them in the eye, and we say, which one of you we're going to add? Which one of you we're going to keep? And yes, which one is canceled? It's Ad Keep Cancel. It's time for the uh, segment where we do what I just said. Uh, we'll begin with what services we think you should Add, if you're not already subscribed to them, for the beginning of the new year. Diane, uh, what was your ad? This was the hardest for me, so I'm going to defer to you. You know I struggled with this. I uh, do. My ad... <laughs> I did too. My ad was Peacock. Uh, Peacock has exclusive rights to an NFL game for the first time coming up. Yes, they uh, do. I'm excited to see how that goes. I also very much enjoyed The Holdovers, uh, the new Alexander Payne movie starring Paul Giamatti and uh, Dave Enjoy Randolph. Uh, and that is streaming on Peacock. Um, I think it's got a big mass appeal. I would watch it with your fam. It is the fam streaming service. Peacock wound up being my choice, too, because when I was uh, visiting my family over Christmas, I discovered shocked to learn that my parents had resubscribed to Peacock because it has like a, a, a several things they were looking to find on streaming, even though in one case it was Saturday Night Live, which they could watch uh, through the DVR functionality on their Xfinity box. But that's how they got back on Peacock is because they are Comcast Xfinity customers and Xfinity is offering a super discounted Peacock for, I think, six months, $2.99 a month for all the Peacock you can pee. 
There you go. Yeah. I I think it has a, a good range of programming. Um, the other night, too, we ended up watching one of the, like, Peacock channels where they show different, uh, like, it was, like, classic SNL channel. And it was just such, so nice to have on in the background. There'll be, like, less good sketches that you kind of tune out for. And then you'll be like, oh, classic Will Ferrell. This is a delight. It really felt like TV in a way that um, most broadcast TV right now feels like uh, a diminished version of TV. I, I That's really well said. It's some of the features that differentiate Peacock, too. Uh, unfortunately, some of the other features that differentiate Peacock is their horrible video player interface. But for the most part, yeah. I like the experimentation at Peacock. And I do think there's something to be said of it's the most TV-like one. Because for my parents to embrace it, it needs to be the most TV-like experience. The, the struggle of uh, getting them to watch something on Max instead of HBO, uh, it's so complicated, even though sometimes it is easier to find, uh, especially when they're using their Xfinity remote. Our, our other big uh, holiday experience was watching the Barbie, Barbie movie on Max. Barbie movie mm -hmm. on Max. Everyone's thrilled. I enjoyed it again. Uh, but when my mom used her cable remote to just try to summon the Barbie movie from the voice assistant in the cable box, it did. And for some reason, it chose the uh, American Sign Language interpreter version that had a delightful woman in yeah. the corner doing all the ASL. And I was like, just can you give this to me? We're going to open the Max app and choose the thing we want. Like, you know, humans instead of savages who scream at the remote. But that that is about it being a more TV-like experience. They understand the cable remote. And Xfinity has done a good job of tying Peacock deeply into the existing Xfinity cable experience. So there's less friction for them, and they can uh, onboard Pete with Peacock faster. The fact that they independently got themselves set up on Peacock again, I'm just, I'm so proud. I feel like I've been replaced. But also, mm. kudos to the Peacock team. I can't believe it. Kudos to Peacock. And kudos to them. I am impressed with anyone who can use their cable remote. God, I, I mean, La secretly, some of this is me lashing out at the confusion I feel when I pick up this just bonkers looking remote. It's huge. It has so many buttons. They're different, like, translucencies, lights, colors. I, I And truly do not know their setup very well. So I also don't know. They ask me, do blank. And I'm like, I don't even know if your TV does that. Do you know if your TV does that? They're like, make it brighter. And I'm like, I don't think your TV has a brightness control. It's so old. You're... you're Xfinity remote has a lot of buttons. Are you telling me one of them is a brightness button? Because if you're not telling me that, I don't think there is one. Oh, man. How, how do they watch Game of Thrones? Oh, just a non-starter. You know, that is just not a show that they can watch. <laughs> and I will say episode two of Echo would just be impossible for dark. them to view. Yeah, that has a very yeah. dark sequence. They On their TV, it would be unwatchable. Uh, but I digress, because we're not talking about whether we should add, keep, or cancel my parents' television. That answer is obvious. However, I am not that generous yet. How, but, but we do have to talk about our next category. Our category... Of just oh, who should you keep? Who is a steady partner in your streaming life? And I, I will go first this time. This is, I think, the the constant answer for keep for me. Uh, it's Hulu. Yeah, you just yeah. you just whispered it to me. It's Hulu. Is it yours? It's, it, well, no. I was gonna say Prime Video only because what I was gonna say is 
please be quiet. You're not canceling Prime Video because of the ads. <laughs> no, I like that. I'll represent but, Hulu. You represent, I feel the same way. You are you are going to keep Prime Video. Just admit it to yourself and move on. Admit it. Yeah, yeah. There's been some talk in my home. My husband and I have been looking at our spending and we we're like, do we really need Amazon Prime? And the answer is yes. It is so convenient, unfortunately. I'm sorry. And I really admire anyone who is, um, you know, principled enough to not use Amazon. But uh, oh, yes. for me, it's it's just such a part of my way of life. And the another $3 a month, I mean, I don't need to spend it because I don't mind the ads. But I think it would be worth it ultimately if ads were, you know, that big of a factor for me because Prime is so much more than Prime Video. Yeah, yeah. F well said, and I agree. So I'll take the Hulu case. Uh, Hulu, always good. Listen, always uh, what's good. what's wrong with Hulu? Hulu just gets better and better. And you know what? You don't need Disney Plus and the new Hulu in Disney Plus hub. Whatever, man. It's The content is on Hulu still. Just keep your Hulu. That might be foreshadowing for my cancel recommendation. But I will say, like, listen, the, the newest, hottest Marvel show is also on Hulu. We're going to talk about it very soon. Echo is on Hulu. You don't need Disney Plus for it. You know what else is on Hulu? Season 5 of Fargo, which ends next week. I am so excited. Hulu just has a great library. And uh, next month, when uh, network TV really ramps back up, it will have ABC Next Day again, which is a, a fancy way of saying it'll have Abbott Elementary again. Thank goodness. So just keep your Hulu. Duh. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's an easy one. I, I had... That was my other choice. I, I love Fair, you. fair. Well, I will just move right into cancel because I tipped my hat. It's Disney Plus. Goodbye, Disney Plus. I don't need you. I was speaking to a friend of mine who is a mom to two young kids, and she was telling me that she recently started watching an old season of Dancing with the Stars because she couldn't bear to watch anything else on Disney Plus again with her kids. And she was like, this is something I can have on in front of my family, and I'm just so done with Disney Plus. That is the most depressing story I have ever heard in my <laughs> streaming life. I'm so sorry for your friend. Uh, d Dancing with the Stars, I didn't even consider the fact that that would be in the Disney Plus catalog. But of course, that's like prime red meat Disney Plus content. Oh, no, no. it's She was like, instead of Disney Plus. I think it's... Oh, like, that was the relief from Disney Plus? That, was that wasn't... I thought Disney she Plus. was saying that was the least objectionable choice on Disney Plus. Oh, her brain is gone. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Listen, I, I wouldn't surprise me if you could watch Dancing with the Stars on Disney Plus because they got to fill out that catalog with something that the weird failure of the promise of Disney Plus is they made it seem like we're going to have all these shows, just constant shows. And now a couple years in, they're like, we made too many shows, fewer shows. And I, I don't. I don't necessarily agree. Like, sure, we've talked about superhero fatigue and Star Wars franchise fatigue, but that is just two specific franchises. We did not say I wish there were fewer shows. No, I love shows. The shows are great. More shows, please. And for some <laughs> and reason... different shows. Yeah, yeah. More variety in shows. And instead, that is not interesting to Disney Plus right now. And even some of the movies are going back to movie theaters. So you don't even need Disney Plus to see the new Pixar movies. You could instead, you know, wild idea, see them in the movie theaters. 
You could. Yeah. I mean, there might still be people keeping their Disney Plus because they just like need to have all the Star Wars content streaming available whenever. But I, I really don't feel that way. This new Disney or this new Star Wars movie I'm not very excited about. And it'll be years before that's out, let alone on Disney Plus. There's just nothing new and exciting there for me. Yeah, I, I actually, can't watch I, on Hulu. I, I wasn't going to mention the Mandalorian and Grogu movie titled The Mandalorian and Grogu, which if they keep that title, I don't know what is going on there. But but it just to me speaks to they announced that they're going to do this movie with uh, Mandalorian and Grogu called again, The Mandalorian and Grogu. And it's not going to come out for years, years it will be the next new Star Wars movie. They're really in a drought of Star Wars movies, but it's still like 2026, it sounds like, uh, for a release on that. Well, at that point, I cannot imagine that we will still be in peak Mandalorian. I would tell, I would say confidently we are already past peak Mandalorian interest. Most people I talked to did not finish season three or were not super enthusiastic about season three. I liked season three, but I, I reading the room am looking at it like, do you think that that will still be your marquee franchise in 2026? Don't you have some hope that you will have more hits by then, instead of putting all your eggs in the Grogu basket? The adorable floating Grogu basket? Yeah, I mean, and it doesn't really get any better if you say The Mandalorian and Grogu, colon, a Star Wars story, story? which is almost certainly what it's going to end up being. (sighs) There's also, with all the press releases, I haven't seen anything promising the Pedros involved. Uh, No, so weird. John Favreau's, right. Favreau's directing, and that is a good, good. sign. Yes, John Favreau, yes, please. And um, but Kathy Kennedy and Dave Filoni are co-producing, which makes sense in their new structure where Filoni is like the the creative chief and Kathy Kennedy is the, the business daddy, basically. Uh, and so, okay, th- that, that much makes sense. But I agree, I'm not enthused, and I am weirded out by the, the press release that really went out of its way to not mention any talent at all. Mm, Yeah, uh, this doesn't seem like a big win. No. Yeah, just like not loving the Disney output, uh, or at least especially on Disney+. Plus. On Disney+. Plus, Weirdly, I like some of their output on Hulu and elsewhere. FX, Hulu, uh, uh, Echo, which is on Disney+. Plus. But again, you can watch it on Hulu. I'm liking it. So... Uh, you know, that is my pitch for why, uh, unless you have children, which is the giant asterisk on my suggestion, you should cancel Disney+. Plus. And if you have children, as I said before, I'm so sorry. Diane, what do you want to cancel? So I had also written in my notes Disney+, Plus, but I will say, um, in case anyone like us finds themselves still paying for Showtime through your cable? A cable subscription. What? Um, make make sure you're not doing that. If you there is a way to watch it now through on demand. You have like the full Showtime catalog there on on demand. But um, just do just pay for Paramount Plus with Showtime if you need to watch the Showtime shows. Uh, it there's other good stuff on Paramount Plus. Yeah, and and look at it this way. You only have to budget for one year of Paramount Plus with Showtime because we at StreamAgain are promising you it won't exist one year from today. Oh, no, it won't. 
No. So why not get it while you get it, you know? I, I Listen, again, sitcoms are coming back. Ghosts is going to be back on Paramount Plus next month. I am so excited for the return of Ghosts. Yeah, and you can, you know, enjoy some Star Trek, catch up on Frasier. Okay, now that we're in the, the movie pit, uh, the other story that I was not going to bring up is right after the weird announcement of the unexciting Mandalorian Grogu movie, Paramount a day later comes out and goes, hey, uh, we, we got a Star Wars movie in the world, a Star Trek, uh, we, we be us too, we got sci-fi, spaceships, pew pew, movies, you know? J.J. Abrams right? is making it. We, okay, so- <laughs> It's so, so it's before it, Discovery. Unclear. Listen, so they, you know, Paramount had the string of J.J. Abrams' Star Trek movies with Chris Pine that, like, mm-hmm. sort of launched the Discovery universe that now Discovery is wrapping up. But we've talked about uh, Strange New Worlds, Captain Pike, all those people. That's all launched uh, sort of, sort of. I The Trekkies will come get me. But by the, the reboot uh, there's a different Spock. I don't know. Listen, listen. I know Zachary Kinto Spock there. It's not the same universe. It's a parallel universe. But that enthusiasm, that uh, narrative, uh, that reboot uh, I, mentality was all launched by those movies. And then the last one of those movies didn't do well. It didn't even do poorly. It did extremely badly. And just all discussion of making any more of those movies stopped, even though technically I think Chris Pine is like uh, on contract for Star Trek four and has been for years, but they, they've just made no effort to make it. And so it is funny to see them like put out this sweaty press release a day after the star Wars news to say, well, yeah, we are, no, we've been talking to JJ Abrams, bad robot, the production company they're in. We're, we're making it. We swear. We can't tell you anything about it. Or when it's coming out, or who's in it. <laughs> but oh, no, we're making it. This is Chris Pine Star Trek. We swear it still exists. I mean, I'm a Chris Pine fan. I think he's one of our finest Chris's. Um, Thank you. You're Thank in you. Good you can admit it. You're it's in fine. Good company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of. So, one of. One of them. One of them. So, uh, you know, I think uh, I, I would watch this. I don't know if he'll be involved. But uh, if he's not involved, who is the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies are the Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, that that's that's those movies. If they're doing a new J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie with who and why is J.J. Abrams doing it? I, I don't like that style of Star Trek as much. I think that Strange New Worlds figured out the better version of that with dramatically fewer like lens flare effects. Uh, but but still that kind of retro futuristic vibe. So I'm not super jazzed about that. I wish they would say, well, we had fun with uh, Kirk and that reboot. It's over. Let's make a new Star Trek movie. New, new, new. Yeah, I think that what we've identified with um, many of these streamers is just a desire for things outside of their franchises or a like, fresh original a fresh take, take on, on their franchises. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. Speaking of a fresh, somewhat original take on a franchise, let's talk about this week's review. It is Echo on Disney Plus and Hulu. Yeah, Diane, perfect transition to talk about Echo. Uh, Echo, just to get the nuts and bolts out of the way, is a five-episode basically miniseries. Uh, we haven't finished it, so I don't know what kind of note it's going to end on. But the vibe I would give you is five-episode miniseries is the vibe. Uh, and in a kind of unusual set of moves, Disney has dropped uh, all five episodes 
on both Hulu and uh, Disney Plus at the same time. So you don't need to be subscribed to both. It's not like the Hulu hub inside Disney. This is just if you have either service, the show is there for you. And it's part of Marvel's new Spotlight branding, which I have some opinions about, some questions about. What the hell is it? Uh, But one thing that it might be is the branding for Marvel shows you can't watch with your kids. Because this is also the first TVMA-rated Marvel show. Which feels crazy to say, because Marvel is nothing but a violence machine. But it is a a blood-light violence machine. So much of the violence in Marvel movies and in Marvel TV shows is somehow bloodless. And so that is uh, the reason that Hawkeye... The Marvel Plus, uh, the Marvel Plus, the Disney Plus Marvel series that introduced Echo's character, uh, that is a TV 14 show, as are most of the other Marvel TV shows, uh, which means teen friendly. Sure, watch with your kids. Uh, the, the, the violence in Hawkeye is real. People die in Hawkeye, but we don't see them die in bloody, gory, noisy, gross ways. We just see them like explode with no human remains. And that mm-hmm. is essentially, in the United States at least, the difference between being TV-14 and TVMA. And so it is a big deal in some ways that Echo is the first TVMA show. Yeah, I think it's like that or potentially showing a nipple. And yeah. <laughs> I will say, as far as this goes, it seems pretty sexless. Yeah, I don't need to see any nipples on this show. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Nipple-free. Thanks. Now, when we get to Daredevil... When we get to the new Daredevil series, nipples, baby, I want to see them. But we're not there yet. Fingers I, you crossed. know, fingers crossed is all I can say. Uh, but so, D- Diane, do you want to tell us what what's the nugget of who is Echo? Yeah, Echo's cool. Um, Echo is a Marvel character who was introduced on Hawkeye, uh, at least in the cinematic universe introduced on Hawkeye. Um, she is played by Alakwa Cox. Uh, she is Native American. And can we learn. Yeah, and can trace her lineage back to the uh, first Choctaw, according to the show. And she is also deaf, uh, which is, I think, something that, the, um, that they incorporated a lot into the sound design of Hawkeye because... Uh, the Hawkeye character is also hard of hearing. Uh, this character is deaf, and she also uh, has a prosthetic leg. Um, I think this is a, a big for disability representation in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, which is pretty exciting. And much like Ms. Marvel, this is Alakwa Cox's first uh, acting role. First credit uh, is playing this character, and I think she's great. Yeah, I, I I didn't know that this was her first uh, role until we were doing a little research for the episode. I, I'd obviously seen her in Hawkeye, and I just assumed she was an actor who I had not seen in anything else uh, before. And, and I, she is spectacular. And, she, you know, one uh, difference that was pointed out uh, in a review I was reading of Echo, so I will give, you know, some deferred credit to unknown reviewer from IForgetWhere.com, uh, but, you know, in Hawkeye, 
she is deaf and there's a lot of signing uh an asl with her character and there's some as you pointed out amazing sound design choices in hawkeye incorporating uh clint hawkeye's loss of hearing especially when he loses his hearing aid or when he takes his hearing aid out they give us the effect of how hard it is for him to hear because he that if uh, you're not aware in hawkeye it is pointed out basically that he has been near so many explosions in his role as an avenger that any mortal human would have significant hearing loss from that and he is one of the most mortal and normal human uh, avengers so they, uh, that was something i loved about hawkeye was just the the frailty of him as a human being dealt with and the sound design around that. Then they introduced uh, Echo, this character, Maya, we don't know her as Echo yet. They introduce Maya, who's fully deaf, and she's sort of a villain for most of the season of Hawkeye before we discover Mm -hmm. she's being played, basically, by Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin. Uh, Kingpin comes to us courtesy of the uh, Netflix Marvel shows, uh, and so Kingpin brings in this very gritty vibe. Vincent D'Onofrio also brings in this kind of gritty, chew-the-scenery vibe that reminds me of Danny DeVito as Penguin, but without the camp. Yeah, agreed, agreed. He's genuinely scary. Yeah, yeah, so we, we had a vibe of that and of the, um, you know, the representation of a deaf character and the sound effect and the uh, uh, acting experience, really, of seeing her in Hawkeye. But she was not the main character, and we were not really through her eyes, through her perspective. We were through Clint's. So a lot of those choices were about how Clint hears the world or how Clint sees the world. In this show... We are fully through her experience, her eyes, and she goes back to her hometown, her community in Oklahoma, where people grew up with her, and there it was a deaf native community. And so she communicates with many of her the people from her old life, the locals there in ASL. They communicate with her. It is there's so many more scenes and so much dialogue delivered in ASL in the show and through creative use of text messaging and and graphics for that kind of stuff that uh, gives you such a uh, bigger experience of her as a character and really lets her ability to act as as she signs uh, come to life. And then what, what it blows me away as a viewer is everyone else feels so natural in signing back with her. It doesn't look like you have these actors who had to practice and learn the the sign language for their scene. You just feel like you're sitting and watching how these people interact in their communities. Converse. Yeah, converse. And and that yeah. is, is is extremely naturalistic. It is wild to be like, my favorite thing about this Marvel show is the extremely naturalistic representation of these characters. But here we are. That's what makes this a really interesting Marvel show. I agree. And I've also seen um, comments online um, from some Native viewers saying that they feel like the show has really nailed the authenticity of uh, Native life in Oklahoma, which is pretty cool, too. Obviously, there are aspects of the show that are sort of larger than life fantasy because, you know, we are dealing in the MCU here. But uh, it seems like for those um, aspects, they took care to try to do it the right way, which is great. Um, that's exciting. I I think that um, a difference between this and say like any of the Marvel shows that are dealing with Avengers, let's say, is that these 
types of Marvel heroes like Echo, um, like Daredevil, they're mostly dealing with like criminals in their city or in their hometowns. They're not dealing with like, we have to save the entire world as much. And what I know of this, and maybe some Marvel fans can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, is that within those like cities, the like big bad, their Thanos is Kingpin. Yeah, there is. They do a decent job of making it clear Kingpin is a, a big deal, is the, the head honcho of the whole of the criminal underworld, not just like, ah, yes, he is the boss of this gang. They, they give you enough ominous vibes around him to know he's the boss of everybody. If only Kingpin can call that killing or call that other killing off, uh, as we right. see in one of the episodes. Um, part of the backstory to Echo the series is in... Hawkeye, she kills, she thinks, Kingpin because she discovers that Kingpin, who raised her sort of like a father figure, basically, um, that he actually ordered the killing of her father, her real father. Who was, who was also a criminal working yes. for Kingpin. Yes. But, but really wanted a better life for Maya. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. And that was all backstory in Hawkeye which unfortunately was crammed into the first 20 minutes of the pilot of Echo. And I do have to point out that that is the worst 20 minutes of Echo by a long, long shot. That that is hard. But but all of that gets us to Kingpin is actually alive and Maya's on the run because she tried to kill Kingpin uh, and she wants to take down his criminal organization. And so she is in an anti-hero mode here where she is, you know, trying to kill people, but she's trying to kill bad people. Right. But she also is willing to go against the advice of um, some of the people from her community. Uh, Henry, we know, is her cousin or uncle um, who is with her in Oklahoma, who has really advised her saying, hey, you know, don't bring this war to us here. Keep this in New York. And she said, I'm going to do what I have to do to take them down. That kind of catches us up on the first episode. There is a lot of plot to cram into five episodes, which is really four and a half, if you think about it, because half of the first episode is that. And I would say that that's my biggest complaint about the show is that it's just um, too stuffed. Yeah, and, and it the first episode, the most of all, the first episode is a big misfire from a storytelling perspective for me. I, I really struggled to get through the first half of the first episode. It didn't have any device to try to ease the information dump. You know, there could have been a version of this. I am I am giving you the worst version I could imagine, and I would have been happy if they'd chosen it, where it is just like... Welcome, young child. Let me tell you the story of Maya. Ah, she was in our community at the time. She fled to New York. She was torn away by her father. Her father was then betrayed and killed. She fought for justice and vengeance. Then she learned she had been played. Like, yeah, show me. If you have to show me all those scenes from Hawkeye, and so many of those scenes were literally recycled from Hawkeye. I rewatched the show a month ago. I remember them. Uh, Fine, okay, you do need to catch me up as to who is she? Why is she running away, but also trying to get vengeance and kill uh, Kingpin? I do need to know those things. Put in any effort to sugarcoat that as storytelling instead of just truly 
a, a montage, a long, long montage. Agreed. There are a couple scenes that before it goes right into montage mode that show her as a child and this accident um, that has resulted in the death of her mother and um, her, uh, ampu- her, her the yeah, amputation the of her, her leg. leg. Yeah. Um, but even those scenes, when they're referenced again, because so much time has passed on the show, I'm kind of like, uh, confused about the emotional stakes of it because they're supposed to be 20 years ago. So, like, there is a big conflict between her and her cousin Bonnie, but I emotionally am confused by that storyline in episodes two and three. I don't really know what's happened with between them in the interim. Has she not spoken to anyone in 20 years? Yes. Yeah. Not, not super I, clear. And what I would say is, I, I also just am not sure that I need to know all those answers. And by dumping all that backstory on me, you've created this expectation that I'm supposed to know these answers. And I sort of think the braver choice, let me put it this way, the brave choice would have been, you know what? We don't need to give you any of this backstory, really. We can just kind of have some dialogue that references like, oh, you've been gone 20 years, and that is just as effective at getting you the emotional stakes of this as making you sit through 20 overstuffed minutes of both old but some new footage, and then to have people reference it and have you go, so what did that mean when I watched that, you know, eight-second scene of her waving goodbye to her cousin when they were children? What, what did that what what, were the, what was the significance of that? If if I had just never seen that, I would have gotten maybe I would have maybe painted a different picture that gave it more sense to me. I, I just think actually when I watched episode two, and episode two opens with a traditional sixty second previously on Echo, I went oh you know what I feel more caught up by this sixty second previously on that any show anywhere would do normally than I felt from that 20-minute montage in the first episode because it was too long and too overstuffed and there was too much going on. And at the end of the day, I still didn't know enough. I agree. The only thing that I would say, my only reason for liking that initial setup is that it does give us some scenes where Zahn McLarnan plays her father mm-hmm. and he's just fantastic. Um, I hope they'll find a way through flashback or whatever to have him return. Um, I just really like that actor. But uh, overall, the cast is great. It's it's a really fun Yeah, ensemble. so then we get past that first episode, which in the back half does get more interesting, moves into the modern day story, uh, but, you know, picked up enough that I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm also I committed to review it for the show with Diane. But I was like, yeah, OK, I'll get into episode two. Then episodes two and three are great. They are so good. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I don't know if I'd go great and so good because I still feel like it's too much too fast. But I, what I'm, what I'm getting, I'm liking. Yeah, yeah, and each episode has kind of a, a nice uh, crisis of the episode. A big event of the episode happens. I don't want to spoil too much, uh, but there's a great, great showdown at the roller rink. 
that involves also running through a like abandoned laser tag, laser tag. course while uh, the the song Dragula plays. And because I have the subtitles on all the time anyway, I'm both getting the subtitles for the ASL, but I'm also getting all of the regular closed captioning, which includes a moment when she like bursts through a wall fighting someone and the music begins to wind down and the, the like caption is like, Dragula fades. And I was like, yeah, this show is metal. Amazing. I do love that there was um, that big uh, sign at the at the roller skating rink that says make America skate Skate again (laughs) and watching that get destroyed. um, really, I think puts us in a, a, a specific place in Oklahoma. It didn't feel general. I really like that about the show. Yeah. And you know, some. It just it reminds me of Ms. Marvel as well, which is very specifically this, you know, Jersey City vibe. Like there are some of these Marvel shows where they they pick a location and they really make you feel like that location is a character in the show. And ironically, they're like all shot in Atlanta. So it's also a real testament to the production designers work that they turned, you know, the suburban Atlanta into rural Oklahoma in a convincing way that really made it feel like a real place. Agreed. You know, it's so funny because so many of the Marvel things take place in and around New York and they never feel like New York City. You know, it it feels so made up. But the ones where they branch out and I think um, move past that are so much stronger in terms of their settings. Oh, yeah. I, I Now I'm, I'm waiting for people who actually live in middle America to write in and go, are you kidding? That looks nothing like Oklahoma. It's clearly excerpts of Atlanta, you East Coast liberal. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, please tell your friends. Five stars. I do think that one way that it might be a spotlight series beyond just being a something that's a little bit grittier um, is that it's not necessarily fully connected to the other series. Like I did get more out of it for having seen Hawkeye, but I don't feel that you need to have seen Hawkeye to watch this show at all. Yeah, I think that was the intention. And certainly when they announced the Marvel Spotlight branding last year, that was how they framed it. I feel like they really... Uh, you know, again, some some of this is really, when I say storytelling feedback, it's feedback for the, the Marvel side of it that orchestrates wh- how these interconnect and how much interconnection there should be. And here, they promised us less interconnection, and episodes two and three follow through on that promise, but the problem is the first 20 minutes of episode one are just crammed full of confusing ultimately not super relevant connection to Hawkeye. And and I think that that, you know, it does add context for the show and the character. But if you haven't seen Hawkeye, I don't think you get enough context or meaning out of that 20-minute montage about how this connects with Hawkeye and why, because you don't even know who Hawkeye is that well. And so I think it only clouds the, the story and confuses it. Uh, if you are trying to embrace it as a more standalone adventure. And then, and then, like I said, episodes two and three do stand much more on their own. Obviously, Kingpin's the villain, but he hasn't been a major character in the MCU anyway. Uh, it, it's the, they get off on such the wrong foot 
if their intention is for this to feel more of a standalone story. Having seen the first three, do you feel that a five episode or a mini series format is right for this? Is it uh, not enough mm, to say? My answer is it could, five could be right if the first one wasn't wasted on the montage backstory stuff. I, mm. I do think four feels like too few, and what we're really getting is four. Right. I don't think four it, and a fraction. Yeah, like four and a half. Sure. I don't think it needs to be ten episodes. And and I, I obviously, if you've listened to this show, you know I think all of these Marvel series should have longer seasons. They should all have longer seasons. But this one does have the vibe more of a miniseries, and I can think of a lot of uh, five-episode or six-episode miniseries where I have felt very satisfied by the, the amount of story over that many episodes. And so this is painting that, that kind of picture for me, but I do think, yeah, we squandered the first half of the first episode, and so I'm, I, I do agree with you that now it's feeling a little rushed though i would be happy if this was a delicious you know kind of medium portion of content i don't need it to be a supersized portion of content especially if it's meant to be a kind of one-off standalone journey i agree with that um and i i hope that it'll feel that way i did feel like I wanted to rewatch episodes two and three after having watched both because there were a couple characters that kind of breezed in and out. And I was like, I don't really know everything going on. So I might rewatch it, um, which I like it enough that I feel like watching it again. Um, yeah. But it, I will say it's made me excited for Daredevil, which, you know, has had its own behind the scenes issues, but is at least a, they've announced that it will have more episodes. So I think the idea of having like a real full season show like that, um, this makes me excited for that world too. Yeah. So, this is the most excited uh, I've felt about a, a Marvel show in over a year easily. You know, Loki season two, we ultimately felt pretty good about, but uh, it was season two. It wasn't a new Marvel show anyway. Uh, there haven't been some some great breakthrough new ones that have made me think, ooh, I'm excited for the next thing in a while. Right. That's exciting. I, I, I think that they're moving in a cool direction. It's surprising to me that when they make the pivot to say, you don't need to watch everything to enjoy this, I feel more compelled to watch everything. Like, yeah. it makes me want to revisit Hawkeye, which I recently watched, but actually enjoyed quite a lot. Um, it makes me want to uh, watch the other, I mean, I imagine the other Spotlight series. I think that Daredevil will be a Spotlight um, if they keep with that branding. I, I, I wonder that the most now, because you're right. I'm, I'm also excited for Daredevil. And if this, if you know, putting aside my complaints about the first half of the first episode, if the vibe of Echo is what a Marvel Spotlight show is, I'm there for it. And and and, but we don't know. We just don't know. And so, if the vibe of Echo is similar in some ways to the vibe of Daredevil, I'm super into it. And I think they should call it a Spotlight show. But I think they won't call Daredevil a Spotlight show. I think they'll say Daredevil is core MCU. Um, and I, I, at this point, I just don't know what that means. My fear is that Spotlight Show just means you don't need to see the movies. 
that this character's not going to show up in Avengers 6 or whatever, whatever they rename the Kang Dynasty to. I don't know. Like, I, I, my fear is it's going to be like, yeah, the Spotlight ones, they're the ancillary characters. They don't show up in the movies. And that is such an arbitrary distinction. It doesn't feel worthy of the branding. I agree with that. I hope, and this is a very cynical take, that it doesn't mean the Spotlight series are going to be the shows moving forward where the lead is not a white guy. That's uh, my other fear. When they first, yeah. when we first talked about this, that was my concern. Was like, did they make this a Spotlight series? Because they're like, it's the diverse one. She's the most diverse hero. Spotlight on that. And I'm like, wow. If that is what it means... They'll never admit that, of course. They'll never intend it to mean that. But if that is the trap that they are waltzing into with this branding, uh, I'm concerned. I really think they do need to announce what is the next Spotlight show so that we can begin to understand what that means to them. Because otherwise, you can start to get real cynical real fast. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I... I think that if this is the direction Marvel is going, I'm I'm optimistic. So I should say I I'm give them the benefit of the doubt that they're doing this show well. I think um, while I share your complaints about that first episode, and I do think it might be a little overstuffed. I think you know, generally the characterization is good. I the agree. action sequences are fun. The yeah. part on where she's on on top of the train. I don't want to give too much away, but woo. Awesome scene. And in fact, reminiscent of the only good part of Indiana Jones 5, which I streamed on Disney Plus over the holiday, which is a long action sequence on top of a train. And the difference is uh, this one, I could actually sort of make out what was going on because I was watching it on my TV, whereas Indy 5, I was watching on my parents' TV. And that's how we bring it full circle here on an episode <laughs> of Streamageddon, the number one podcast for discussing, is this show too dark to watch on my parents' Vizio television? <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's important information. It's I'm so sorry. The verdict on Echo is no matter how good Echo is, my parents cannot watch Echo. And that's all the time we have for you this week on Streamageddon. We're so excited to be back here in a new year. And there are so many shows actually finally premiering in the coming weeks. I am excited to talk about True Detective Night Country, Diane. Are you? Uh, I'm going to give it a shot. I've I've been burned by True Detective before. (laughs) Listen, fool me once, shame on you. Cast Jodie Foster. You can fool me as many times as you want. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Listeners, if you're excited about some shows coming up, tell us about them. We might review them. Podcast at streamageddon.com is the email address. But until then, you know what your homework is, dear listener. Diane, say it with me. You should keep keep streaming. streaming. A Marvel Spotlight what now?